Quiet, Long please. Nathan Hines, 
And uh, Chris Bridges, who's done uh, special effects for uh, the movie 300, Dawn of the Dead, uh, and many others, will uh, also be in attendance. Uh, I believe also some of the cast will be there. And um, it's, a, it's, it's a horror flick, so uh, be prepared to be shocked or scared. Uh, but uh, Time Cinema in Milwaukee, 7 p.m. And again, it's the world premiere. You can go to longpigsthemovie.com. Uh, and uh, get other show times and other show areas uh, for when it may be near you. Uh, be sure to check out the Hot and Fun blog. Peter Marshall, our director, who's doing a director's series, has a director's workshop coming up in Vancouver in May. So uh, you'll want to look into that at the Hot and Fun blog. Kevin Sorbo, our guest, will be returning. He has a charity golf tournament in Las Vegas in June. Uh, a world fit for kids, so please check into both of those. Look at the Hunt News blog for more of the local events that are occurring uh, around here. I will be on FilmLad.com Wednesday. I'm there every Wednesday, the film contributor for the FilmLad show. It is a radio show on actual radio, and it also streams on the Internet, so tune in to us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Uh, I'm going to be bringing on my guest in just a moment. She is Jenny Stolte. And... Um, Oddly enough, her, her biography page just closed down. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, but she's got some uh, film credits on IMDb called Splatter, Driver's Head Mutiny, um, Cyrus, a Carnage on Graves Farm, and Runway and others. I'm going to uh, – uh, I apologize, Jenny, and I apologize to the listeners, uh, but you know how computers can be. and they can be awfully slow. So I'll tell you what, you know what, I'm going to bring on Jenny uh, just as it is, and uh, and we'll just talk a little bit that way. Um, Jenny, are you there? Hold on, hold on, oh, I'm sorry, technical difficulties. Uh, internet. Hi, Jenny, are you there? Hi. Well, I apologize for that. I, this is just going oh, okay. kind of bizarre today. So let me... Um, let me see. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about yourself first. How did you get involved in uh, in uh, camera work and in shooting and in shooting features? Um, well, I've always just liked filmmaking from a very young age. So I went to Iowa, University of Iowa, for a couple years for filmmaking, and then decided to transfer to Columbia in Chicago. And when I transferred there, I kind of realized that I wanted to be um, a DP. Um, so from there, I just shot as many films as I could and just kept going and you know it's all about who you know so so what <laughs> <laughs> so you know you you meet people and they know people and they recommend you and it just kind of goes from there it's kind of a a crazy business in that way absolutely uh, but how did you how did how did it interest you to be a cinematographer as opposed to say a director or producer or actor what what is it about uh, looking through a camera and um, um i think it's i mean Cinematography is definitely a powerful tool because, you know, our our art is filmmaking and it's all about the image and the image is created by the light and what's in it and what's in frame and, you know, you have that power to choose what gets to be in frame and what doesn't. So I think it was definitely just the artistic aspect of being able to affect an audience sort of subconsciously via the image, I think. Mm-hmm. Does that well, make no, it does. It, it makes perfect sense. All right, uh, I'm still trying to get your biography page up, and I just apologize so much for this. Um, okay. 
but uh, and I've got two computers running here with about 20 windows open, and I'm just having lots of computer issues. So let me um, let me ask you this. So let's first start off by talking about the the uh, what a cinematographer does and who the cinematographer works with. Who's part of the cinematographer crew, the image team crew? Right. Well, um, the main image team would be the camera department and then the lighting department. So it'd be your camera operator and your ACs and then your gaffer, key grip, and then the grips, Best Boy Electric, all the people that do the kind of technical things. Um, and basically, you know, it, it depends a lot on the, the type of director you're working with as to what the DP does in pre-production, but generally, you know, you're responsible for what the film looks like, what the film feels like, and kind of the, you know, continuity, the space of the film, um, making sure that there's no confusion because of how it's shot, you know, lighting continuity, stuff like that, um, eyeline, screen direction, like just making sure that all those technical things as well as artistic things are in order so that you can serve the film to what cool. it needs, you know, to get to the audience. All right, so let's break this down just a little bit and kind of and slow down just a little bit. So the main people that you work with in the camera crew are going to be whom? Um, the camera operator. Mm-hmm. If okay. there is one, sometimes yeah. you're the camera operator, depending on the film. Um, and then the first AC, second AC. And so let's just talk it. a little bit about their roles and, and what they do to assist you. I mean, in other words, we're going to take this step by step. Okay. I mean, um, the, well, the camera operator obviously operates the camera, you know, helps you with the framing so that you can be by the director talking about the overall image. You know, they're kind of there working with getting the actor in the right place maybe or just kind of framing up, and also the technical things with the camera, setting up the camera, you know, setting up the different kinds of support, getting it on the dolly, whatever that might be. And then the um, first AC would pull focus, you know, help the operator with the technical things of the camera, change lenses, put in filters, things like that. Uh And then the second AC assists with all of those same things for the first. Awesome. And now we'll move on to uh, Gaffer and um, Best Boy and some of the other uh, other people that you've mentioned who are going to be part of uh, the image team. Right. The and gaffer of course, is... Dolly grips and things like that, but go ahead. Right. Um, the gaffer is kind of your main lighting guy. You go to him for um, figuring out, you know, what's, you know, you talk to him about what does this lighting setup look like, what is the quality of light, what is the color of light, things like that, and they assist you in picking the right, types of lights or, you know, how are we going to fit this light in the scene or whatever, and then they go to their crew, which is, you know, the key grip and the best boy electric and um, best boy grip and all the grips and figure out how to implement that as quickly and safely as possible. So what do the grips do? Um, Well, just a basic grip would, you know, set up a light or it it depends I mean if we're talking union there's certain union rules but on an indie film you know a grip sets up a light and or puts um, a flag in front of the light or silks or gels or whatever and um, they would also help set up the dolly, dolly track jib if there's a jib things like that Um, you know run power make sure we're not going to blow a fuse things like that all right, and the other one that you mentioned was Best Boy. So can you uh, fill in yeah. with... Um, Best, Best Boy, Boy Electric would be in charge of 
power. If there's a generator, they'd be in charge of balancing the generator, you know, running cable, um, running distro, making sure, you know, if we don't have a generator that we're not going to blow a fuse so that the lights don't go out so that we don't anger the location, things like that. Um, And then just running, you know, stingers for other people too, for other departments they might be in charge of. And then the best boy grip is generally in charge of staying on the grip truck and making sure that everything's in order and running things to set if we need something quickly, um, just kind of being in charge of the gear in general. Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, um, you know, kind of helped define these roles for people. Uh, we've got a lot of A-list listeners all the way down to uh, newbies and fans, and uh, I like to clarify for people who may not know um, gotcha. what each department or department head does. Uh, now, in terms of, of, of how you work with these uh, individuals, uh, in terms of creating the look of the film, uh, before we even get to the director, but in, in terms of lighting and, and working with your camera operator and, uh, and some of these other people, what, what are some of the critical components when it comes to uh, the look on film? I mean, you know, some people want to, you know, if it's comedy, it's, it's shot one way. If it's horror flick, it may be shot a different way. I mean, you're setting the mood. Um, how do you do that? I mean, what what kind of considerations do you have, and who do you rely on to help you out with that? Right. Well, obviously, the main person you know you talk to is the director initially to figure out the look. But when you're actually on set, you pretty much rely on your gaffer um, and your camera operator to help you, you know, figure all that out and implement what you want while you're doing, you know, a million other things. So, in terms of camera operator, you know, you just want to talk to him about kind of what your thoughts are on how things should be framed and um, different types of support, you know, and how the um, actors should be, like which way should they be looking, which way should they be facing, things like that. And a good operator, you know, by a certain point in the shoot will just kind of know what you want. You won't have to talk to him quite as much. But, um, you know, there's always that communication you need to have and just make sure people are understanding where you're coming from and then they can help you you know to their best abilities and the same with the gaffer you know you talk to him beforehand as much as possible about what you're thinking you want and what the director wants and how you might implement that via lights um and then he just does his best to help you um and work as quickly you know and efficiently as possible all right so let's let's um take a kind of a, 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 another step and and start talking about the director because obviously in order to create the the look and the feel and the pace and have everything you have to collaborate uh with the director. So right. uh what is it about the relationship between a director and a cinematographer that makes for good filmmaking or what kind of what kind of components are needed between uh both of you as communicators and and how do you how do you end up achieving what you end up achieving? Sorry that that's a long um, question, but I think Oh, no. Um, I think, um, it, I mean, it really depends on the director. There's a lot of different types of directors, mm-hmm. and your experience is going to vary pretty drastically based on, you know, what they're like. Some know exactly what they want it to look like, and they just want you to be there to add ideas or implement it, and some have no idea and really want you to collaborate with them and figure out, you know, what it's going to look like, and not only what the image will look like, but maybe blocking or scene structure and stuff like that. So it really depends on the type of director, but 
at the end of the day, hopefully, you know, you'll have a director that just trusts your experience and knowledge and kind of believes that you'll do what's right for the film. So. Well, in in the older days of film, I mean, you know, a director would look into the camera for the setup of the shot. They would look at the camera maybe at the end of the shot. They would trust their cinematographer. They would use a viewfinder. You know, they would they would do all this kind of stuff, but they didn't have video assist, which now, I mean, you know, obviously we have. So the director can see, you know, what is what is coming out on film or on digital, and uh, you know, and make adjustments at that, you know, live. But mm-hmm. but um, you know what. First off, what is your favorite type of director? What what what's your dream director? What what kind of person would that be? And and then after that, I want to talk more about the collaborative process that you described a moment ago. Gotcha. Um, well, my dream director would be you know someone who definitely you know you want them to know what they want, but at the same time you want them to be open to other people's you know ideas because film is really a collaborative process and. You know, you don't want someone who's going to try to be a dictator and just know, you know, say, oh, this is what I want, even if it's not what's actually right for the film. You know what I mean? So, you know, it would be a, a happy balance between knowing, you know, I want it to look like this kind of, but I definitely want to be open to people's opinions and ideas and, you know, kind of make it a collaborative thing. Well, I've had directors on the show who, you know, they've talked about, the, for example, the use of colors, that they wanted certain colors in certain scenes. I mean, that you know, more, more along the lines that they, that they communicated with product, production designers and art directors, you know, to, to, to you know, uh, uh, make the film look a certain way, or, or with a cinematographer in terms of lighting, to make a film look a certain way during certain sequences of the movie. And, um, and others just kind of go, okay, sh- let's shoot it, you know, I mean, let's just... Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, there's, they get very specific about certain things, or, or others are very, very kind of general and very vague. Um, I've got two questions here. I'm going to ask right off the bat, and then we'll come back. Um, uh, the, the question is: Our best boys and gaffers' goal are to be a DP like, like you are, I guess. And I guess, I suppose, the answer to that, if, if I could answer that, I would say, well, that all depends. But I'm going to let right. you answer, yeah, as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on, like, some people really like gaffing and really like Best Boy Electric Game. That's just what they want to do, and that's what they're doing. But some of them, you know, are happen to be good or at gaffing or gripping or whatever, and they're using that to get on sets and to gain experience and to learn from other people. And it all just depends, you know, on the type of person. And the second is uh, second question is they've just got two words with the question mark, blocking and scene structure. Yeah, um, well, I mean, blocking, you know, that's something generally the director figures out with the actor, hopefully in relation to the DP. Um, It kind of depends on indie films. You know, you don't always have a chance to rehearse, nevertheless rehearse on location. Um, Sometimes, you know, you don't even have your location until the day before. So blocking can be tough in terms of figuring out, you know, shot lists and things like that. Usually you end up blocking at the the beginning of the day and then you're like okay this is what we're going to shoot you know you don't always get to to plan it out beforehand unfortunately but and what was the other one sorry other than blocking scene structure well if i may add blocking for for the for the listeners is uh typically the movements the actors make where they are in on the set and then also the camera is blocked where the camera moves or where they have to move in order to be in the frame 
So it's 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 rehearsing the actor on the set in the same way that when you go to a play and you see actors move around on the on a stage, they're moving around in front of the camera. So I hope that clarifies it for the listener who's asking again what that means. And scene structure, could you define scene structure for the listeners? Yeah, basically, um, you know, scene structure would be overall what the characters do, so blocking sort of implemented into the screen, into the scene structure. And then, um, you know, just what's the pacing like? Is Are there long takes, short takes? Does the camera move? You know, where does it take you in the story? Like, that whole kind of thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it's excellent. It's, it's good. I think that works well. All right, so the, so we're talking about working with the director, and um, what 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 do you do? I mean, when a director shows up and they have no clue, they just go, you know what? I, I you're here, and I'm relying on you. I know what I want from my actors. I know what I, I know what the story's about, but I have no real visual concept of of how it should look. How do we create that together? And and that process, I suspect, hopefully starts back in pre-production or when you first meet the director but what what kinds of things do you have to do um well what i like to do if the director you know just has no concept of all of what they would want it to look like is you know after i read the script the first time i like to get online or you know reference other films and like find images that i think would be interesting to implement into the look um i like to use the website Flickr a lot actually and just kind of collect a database of things we can refer to as the look, you know, bring that to the director and then use that to start a conversation on, you know, I like this image because of how the lighting is, or I like this image because of the use of color, um, the framing maybe, you know, a variety of things. And then you can kind of use that as a starting point for talking about how you, like, where you want your film to go and, you know, kind of use others' work to kind of lead you in that direction, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So when let, let's uh, go to the three typical stages of 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 of, of a movie, uh, pre-production, production, and post-production. Let's start with pre-production and when you're brought on and how that collaboration. I know it's I know it's always different depending on the directors, but typically how does this how does the how does it work for you during uh, pre-production? What what are you involved with and and what do you do and what are your responsibilities and how do you get them done and all that and then lead us up to the shoot and you know kind of through the shoot because we're going to be talking about like you said before look continuity progression of the story pacing there's different things you're going to be working with other other people so let's 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 go back and start at the beginning and i really appreciate this jenny this is great this is kind of you know we're breaking it down nuts and bolts okay thank you definitely um well pre-production hopefully you know you want to be brought in as a dp as early as possible you know like the calls where it's like hey you want to shoot a feature next week or anything because you know you want to have as much time as possible to talk and figure things out and you know make sure people know what you need like not only creatively but technically you know and um i think the most important things that i do in pre-production would be you know maybe storyboards depending on if there's action sequences or complicated effects shots or something like that and then shot lists and um I like to do overheads, which is basically, you know, a view, like bird's eye view of the space. You can put the camera, you know, which direction does the camera point and when. Um, and that really helps, you know, ADs, production designers and gaffers and everyone else to know, you know, where's the camera going to be and when. Um, 
Also, location scouting um, in pre-production, if possible, it's a great thing to, you know, be in your location beforehand and know what you're up against in terms of space and um, pre-existing lighting and also technically just, like, if there's, um, you know, if you can't have power at a certain location, just to know that beforehand is, is pretty important, so... That's kind of the main stuff you do in pre-production. And then comes the day when you get on the set. Right. Um, on set, it's basically a you know a communication between the director and then your image team. So you know if you're an operator, like a DP operator, you're not um, by the director quite as much. So it's kind of a lot of running from camera to video village and back and forth so that you can you know, communicate with the actors, communicate with the director, communicate with your gaffer, like, all at once. Um, and then, yeah, basically it's just implementing everything you've worked on in pre-production. Hopefully, if you've had enough time in pre-production, it goes a little smoother because everybody's on the same page and, you know, they have all the shot lists and overheads you've worked on and um, everybody kind of knows what's going on. Um, there's always going to be something that happens, something that comes up that changes you know, the blocking or changes the location at the last second or changes how it's going to be. And, you know, you just got to be got to be able to work on the fly kind of and, you know, make things up as you go along if you have to because that's kind of how the indie world is, you know. Now, if you're the DP and the camera operator, you're, you're holding the camera or you're behind the camera and you're looking through the lens as the shot is going on. But sometimes as DP, you're just, you could just be sitting in Video Village looking at the monitors while the camera operator runs the camera and you're looking at the, the shot after it's been set up and, and defined by you and the director. And so you're watching from start to finish along with the director and the script supervisor and, and, and maybe the producer who is everywhere else is looking at the, at the assist, uh, correct? Yes, definitely. So, uh, what what makes a good shot? I know that's a com a very vague question, but what makes what makes something visually compelling? What what are the kinds of things, the components that uh, makes us want to watch something? I mean, not I mean, you were talking about moving pictures or digital imagery as opposed to still photograph, you know, still photograph, but and and we're not talking about story yet but just just how, in terms of framing and focus and things like that how what what are there some key ingredients that you want to include or key um ways to light a scene um yeah i mean it definitely definitely depends on the context of the story in terms of how how you want to light it um i would say in in general like generally speaking you would probably want to have a backlight or an edge light to kind of separate the character from the background. That's generally something you go for. And also an eye light um, so that there's a little point of light in the actor's eye. Makes them look less, you know, if there's no light, it kind of makes them look almost dead-eyed or their eyes get dark. So you kind of want to strive for that as well. Um, and in terms of framing it, you know, it's all in context to the story. You want to do what serves the story best. So it kind of depends. I mean, you don't want to cut parts of their faces off necessarily or, you know, you don't want to leave too much headroom or not enough headroom or too much leading room or not enough, you know. It, it's all kind of in context, though, of, you know, what, what's the scene about, what's what is the story trying to accomplish at this point, that kind of thing. Do you find now, I mean, that, you know, I mean, shooting styles have, have evolved. Uh, as, as I was coming up in the industry, there was the notion that you never should notice the camera. 
Uh, it should move. You should be locked into the story. It should support the story, but it's that kind of invisible, you know, it's behind the invisible fourth wall, and, and it never would draw attention to itself, unlike, you know, MTV music videos or NYPD Blue, uh, where suddenly the camera is shaking and moving, and, and you're very much aware of, I, I even notice the, now in terms of close-ups that more more times than not I see heads chopped off or, or things in extreme tight close-ups um, where I'm so much more aware that there's a camera there than, you know, say 30 years ago. Right. Um, um, I think part of that has to do with, you know, audiences are getting more aware of the filmic process and they're less, you know, it it takes a little more effort to get them into the story and not thinking about how this is shot, especially, you know, if you're a filmmaker or interested in filmmaking, you know, you're definitely thinking about how it's being shot more than, you know, just a normal average viewer would. would. Um, but, I mean, definitely you don't ever want the audience to think, oh, there's a camera, you know. You want them to be invested in the story because that's your goal is as a DP, like, you want to serve the story to your best ability at all times. So if someone's noticing the camera and they're not supposed to be, you know, you're definitely doing something wrong, and that could be because of how it's lit or because of how it's framed, or it could be, you know, you're moving the camera unnecessarily. You know, if it's not a motivated move, it can be pretty distracting. Or if the lighting's changing from shot to shot, if there's no lighting continuity, that definitely you know, detracts from the story, which is is definitely, you know, not the goal of a DP. <laughs> you definitely want to serve the story at all times. Very cool. Hey, you know, we're at that halfway point. I've got to take a short break here. Uh, I'm going to do just that. So if you'll hang with me just a second, Jenny, and my listeners will come back to Jenny in just a second. Uh, you're listening to RexSykes.com, the official website of RexSykes Movie Beat. And, um, we sure appreciate you listening in. I'm talking with Jenny Stolte. She's a DP cinematographer. Um, I'm going to tell you uh, some of my upcoming guests. I'm still having problems with these computer problems. It is, it is amazing um, that I can't, uh, with ease, tell you the kinds of things that I wish to do. Um, but my upcoming guests should be... Uh, you know what? I actually think this is not the computers, and it is. It has more to do with uh, what's going on cable-wise or, or wire-wise. Uh, but my next guest will be Alan Gansberg. He is an author, producer, Columbia Film School. Uh, he, uh, he's at Columbia Film School, and he is a film historian. Uh, acting and audition coach Kristen Shaw will talk to us about what's important in auditions and as an actor. Uh, Patrick Girardi is returning. He's post-production sound supervisor and re-recording mixer. He'll be back. Terry Green, the director and screenwriter, is coming back right after that. And Eric Morris is the acting coach and author, and that will round out April. I will go into May just a little bit. Paul Provenza, he's a producer, director, actor, comedian. You've seen him. He's got a new book coming out very shortly. Uh, he will be uh, joining us uh, in the beginning of May. John Reese, director, author, Think Outside the Box Office, will be returning. Mitch Apley is an executive producer, editor and director. Dallas Jenkins has been with us a couple times before. He's returning. He's the director of uh, the movie What If, recent movie with uh, Christy Swanson, also a guest on movie. Kevin Sorbo, also a guest on movie. He's going to come back. Brad Hatfield is an Emmy award-winning composer and musician uh, for TV and movies. He's coming up. Casting director Michael Sontag uh, will be joining us after that. He has uh, been here twice before. He's coming back. Uh, Jason Brubaker is a producer. He's got a program out on uh, making movies and getting them done, ebook program uh, uh, that you'll want to check into. Edward Ballerini will be coming back. 
He's the actor from uh, Dinner Rush and The Sopranos, Nick Mancuso, John Cowley, visual effects supervisor from District 9, Uva Bull will be returning, and just so many more. So um, uh, that's a, a brief bit about who's coming up. I apologize for the technical problems on the computer day. I honestly do not know what is going on, but they are very, very sluggish. Um, and we're back with uh, Jenny Stolte from uh, a cinematographer. And uh, we're discussing uh, elements of what makes up um, what she does. What does she do? How does she do it? Um, okay, here's a couple questions again from the chat room. Well, one is, uh, who hires you? Um, if you well, work directly under director, who, who do you get your first call from, typically? Um, kind of depends. Sometimes it's the director, sometimes it's the producer. Um, it's generally one of those two people, though. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, do you get to pick your own crew that you work with? Um, generally, yes. It sometimes depends, you know, if the producer is working in a certain state or something and, you know, they want certain people employed. Sometimes you have to kind of make accommodations to get those people employed. Um, but generally, um, especially in terms of your gaffer and camera operator, you're, you know, picking your own people and then you can sometimes pick first or second AC, um, or you can just leave that responsibility to the operator, and the same with the gaffer's crew. If you want specific busboy electrics or whatever, you can um, hire those people, or you can just leave it to the gaffer to hire the rest of his crew. All right, fantastic. Now, there are other departments that you need to have relationships with, like production designer and effects, and can you describe some of that and who they are and what they do and, and how you're involved with them? Yeah, um, I would say, you know, second to the director would definitely be the production designer. Um, the earliest you can start a relationship with them, the better, because, you know, they're putting stuff in your frame, which is, you know, your job. So you want to make sure that you guys are, all three of you, the director, DP, and production designer, are on the same page about, you know, what's the color palette like, you know, what's the lighting going to be like, where are the locations, you know, what do we need um, in each location, what do we have to bring in, what's already there, you know, do we need certain window treatments, because of lighting, things like that. So you definitely want to, you know, start early on with your production designer and make sure everybody's on the same page about what the look is. Um, in terms of other departments, effects is pretty important if you have any special effects in your movie because effects can take um, a lot of your day up because they take a lot of time to coordinate between all the departments. So, you know, making sure effects are figured out early on and that every department knows, you know, what are they bringing to the table for that effect um, all makes the day go faster. You know, you can make your day a lot better if everybody knows what's going on. Uh, very good. Now, uh, we were talking about being on set and uh, some of the people that you work with. What about uh, an on-set editor, if you have the luxury of working with one? Yeah, um, they're great. I love having an on-set editor because then, you know, if... You know, I, on one set I was on, we had some extras in the background, um, and he noticed that three of them had completely switched places halfway through the scene. So he came down, he ran down to set, he's like, we ought to reshoot these shots because these extras switched places. So they're they're very nice to have, you know, they can end up saving the scene if, if you have the luxury of having one. Um, and it also helps, you know, to know that the look is coming through how you want it to. So at the end of the day, you can go to their trailer, sit down with them, you know, kind of see what you've shot, 
maybe it'd be what you shot the day before, but at least, you know, you can kind of get an idea that everything's coming together how you want it to. Oh, fantastic. I, I just need to make a, a tech, uh, an announcement. Uh, there are callers in the in the uh, call room. I, I don't take uh, outside calls, but we do take them in the chat room. So if you would go to the chat room, if you've got questions or comments that you want to make, uh, feel free to go there. I uh, sure would appreciate it. Uh, if you show up and uh, and ask or, or talk, how comment however you would like. Alrighty. Um, well, let's get into your responsibility to the film and the audience, and and how you make it look the way it looks. We've kind of talked about, it, but but continuity and and you mentioned eyeline and mm -hmm. um, and things like that. Let's let's get into the the, the technical yeah. aspects of those for just a little bit. Okay. And callers um, again, just show up in the chat room. That would be great. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the most important things a DP does that you know people don't always realize is that you know in shot structure and framing you kind of create a sense of space, and that can actually be easier than you think to kind of screw up. I mean, in terms of screen direction and eyeline, you know, which way does the person appear to be facing? Are they facing right, left, away from the other person, towards the other person? an eye line, like where do they appear to be looking, and it seems simple, but those small mistakes, like if they appear to be looking away from each other, but they're facing each other, that can be really confusing and disorienting and really detract away from from the movie, which is, you know, not the goal at all. You know, you want the script and the actor performances to come through. You don't want to be distracting audiences with, you know, just badly framed or incorrectly framed images. Also, same with lighting. If you have poor or inadequate lighting or you know, lighting that changes from shot to shot or unnecessary camera movement, things like that. Um, it all detracts from the story. Um, you know, we exist to serve the story, so we definitely want to reinforce it, not detract away from it. Yeah, you want to address the uh, 180 rule or how you keep the eyeline the same? Yeah, um, basically, concept of the 180 rule is I mean, in its most simple form, you would have two actors facing each other, talking to each other. Draw a line through them, and then you want to keep the camera on one by, side of by, that line. By, by bisecting both of them, not not between them, correct? Right. Yeah. Not yeah. Not like dissecting them, but or not going through them, but like the other way. So if they're facing each other, it'd be going from one of their noses to the other nose. Right. Basically. Um, and then yeah, you want to keep the camera on one side of that line so that. Um, it doesn't appear as though suddenly the other person's facing the other way or looking the other way. Because if you move uh, to the other side of that of, of that line, they would be looking in different directions. Right. It would appear as though they're suddenly facing away from the other person instead of facing towards them or looking away from them instead of looking towards them. Now, once you set set up the camera, I mean, now now that you, whether you're let's say on the far side of them or on the near side of them, you you stay consistent. You don't swap back and forth. I mean, that's what the 180 rule, right? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You you you. I don't know how you talk about this. <laughs> you got two <laughs> people facing each other, and let's say you're looking at uh, uh, you're looking at them in profile. And they're standing on a stage, and so you would put the camera at the say front end of the stage and film uh, one person, you know, and then you'd 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 move it to the other front end of the stage and film back the other person. You wouldn't move upstage, you know, 
Right. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't want to cross over to the opposite you, you side of them. You would the other line. So you stay there. Yeah. But now, here's the thing, and, and it used to be, especially with film, you know, people had a shot ratio. They would say, well, uh, this is three to one, meaning we, you know, we, need, we, we can shoot three times, but we've got to get one take you know, in that three times. We have a five to one ratio. Uh, but mm -hmm. nowadays with digital, that's not so important uh, in terms of the cost of the film, but it can still be important in terms of how long the production takes to complete. So, I mean, right. some people, you know, some directors just shoot endlessly. But but here's the question I have. Now with digital, you could literally walk 360 degrees around these actors and shoot from, from every conceivable angle, and it doesn't cost you that much more in terms of money, but it, costs, it may cost you that much in terms of time if you keep doing it. But And I know directors who do that, where they shoot, you know, they do sh jump the eye line and everything else, and then apparently they just weed through it and, and discard, you know, all sorts of footage. Um do you have any yeah. thought or feeling about what's going on there? Um, I mean, I think part of that is, you know, as a DP, part of your job is to kind of, I don't want to say wrangle in, but, you know, be sure. there to be like, hey, director, you know, we can't do that. We don't have enough time to do that. Like, part of your responsibility is to end the day with a movie. So you definitely want to be the bad guy in terms of, being like, hey, no, like we're not going to shoot a shot that we can't use in the editing room. So, you know, part of that's just having, I mean, you're the director's second-hand man, basically, you know, like you have the responsibility to say, or the right, I guess, to say, no, we can't shoot that, we don't have time. So you definitely want to, you know, wrangle in those directors that just want to shoot from every angle and definitely have them pick priorities, like what are, what are the most important shots and Let's not shoot things that we definitely can't use in the editing room, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question. I had uh, not a heated discussion, but I had, a, I had a disagreement with a cinematographer on a film that I was doing. I was acting in the, in the movie, and he was a cinematographer, and he kept saying continuity is not important. And I kept saying, of course it's important. Where do you come off? You're, uh, you're a DP. How can you say it's not important? You know, and this went on for, you know, literally many shooting days. And then finally I said, so you're telling me that if I – if I'm smoking a cigarette in a scene, you don't care about the length of the cigarette. He goes, no, that's not what I mean at all. <laughs> he says, of course, that would be important. He means if we cheat away from a wall, you won't be able to tell that much that we've cheated out from the wall, the back wall, if, if it's right. done properly. And I'm like, okay, all right. So, so you're, you're speaking in a, you know, I mean, in a, in a different sense. Um, but let's address some, we've got literally about 15 minutes, and I want to get into pacing really a lot and story progression, but, I, I, but just what are some of the continuity issues that, that people face and, and, and how they might be uh, corrected? What should people watch out for so that they don't encounter these? And I don't mean the, just between the length of cigarettes, but, but just in terms of right. matching shots and things like that. Um, I mean, when people think of continuity, obviously they think of those things like you were talking about, the cigarettes right. and you know, if the hair is parted on the right side and stuff like that. But there's a lot of continuity aspects with other departments as well, including camera. Basically, you want to make sure you can do a lot of cheating, especially when it comes to close-ups um, in terms of, you know, what angles the wall at in the background, things like that. Um, and people won't really notice if it's done properly. Um, and you do end up doing a lot of that on location shooting because you can't move the wall out of your way, you know. So you end up having to cheat a lot, which is fine if it's done right. And um, also lighting continuity is important, you know, which side's the key light on, you know, which where's the edge coming from, that kind of thing. Just maintaining that from shot to shot is important. But you can also cheat it at the same time. You know, if 
in the close-up, the edge looks a little better five feet to the right, you can probably do that and not have it, you know, look just distracting. It's just about kind of fudging it, fudging it one way or the other. Um, it's also important in terms of shot size, you know, remembering, you know, when you're doing a shot reverse shot, like a close-up of an actor who's talking to another actor, you want to make sure the first actor is, takes up roughly the same amount of space in frame as the second actor, as well as, you know, you kind of want to use the same lens. Like if you use a long lens, you want to make sure to use the long lens on the same reverse, and that's all part of the continuity and, you know, not making shot-to-shot look distracting. It's also partly why it's also why people do measurements from from subject to camera and the height of camera and things like that. So it's good right, yeah, right. To remember I, that information from one to the other, definitely. Right, and, and you see more of that on on larger shoots and some of the gorilla shoots. I just see them plop a camera down and and plop some lights down, <laughs> you know, and go okay, shoot. And then they then they throw some lights around another way and and put the camera somewhere else for the other actor and. And it, it always scares me because it makes me wonder if if somebody is is you know thinking and tracking. Well, what's your relationship right. with a script supervisor, if any? Do you have a really because they're they're tracking shots and and different things as well? Yeah, um, I mean, kind of depends on the scripty, but a lot of times you know they'll keep track of the lens um, and filters and the f-stop for you, so that if you end up shooting another shot like two days later. You can ask them to go back, um, but hopefully, you know, your ACs are keeping track of that information as well so that if you do have to reshoot something, um, you don't have to go to the editor. Because with film, you know, that wouldn't be possible. With digital, you know, you could always go back to the footage and, and check it, but you definitely want to be able to do things as quickly as possible. So if the scripty or your ACs has that information, it's it's good. And, you know, the scripty also, if they're um, good scripty, will definitely try to help you if they think you're jumping the line, um, the 180 line, um, or if, you know, if they think eye line is off, they'll definitely mention those things to you if they think it's off, which is nice. Well, let's go into it just briefly to describe what you mean by eye line. Um, eye line, basically, where the actor is looking, if they're looking to screen right or screen left, um, or height-wise to it matters if they're to... looking down or up, that kind of thing. Right. As opposed to if they're looking in the right direction or not, meaning the 180. Rule. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, in about uh, 11 minutes or so, let's get into the idea, into this notion of, of story progression and pacing. Uh, you know, how, how, you're the you're the cinematographer. You're you're assist, You're working with the director and creating this story and. And, and we're moving through. Uh, one of the things I always talk to people is, is about pacing. There, are, you know, and we discuss this a little bit. You know, there are certain movies that, and I'm not saying they're boring. I don't, I don't mean that. But the pace is very laborious. It's slower paced. Um, it seems very deliberate. It takes a long time to get through each scene. It's, it's the actors are acting in a certain pace, but but you know. Um, and it seems consistent throughout the movie. It, there doesn't seem to be a lot of up and down roller coaster kind of stuff. Then there's other movies that are literally up and down in roller coasters. I mean, the, the pacing changes from scene to scene, or, you know, or or it varies throughout the overall uh, movie. And can, can you describe how that is created? You know, from from uh, the, the the team, the collaboration of, of you and the director. Yeah, um, well, definitely be something you'd want to start talking about in pre-production, you know, when you're talking about the general look. If 
the director wants any kind of deliberate pacing, be it fast or slow, you know, um, you definitely want to know that because it definitely changes how you shoot things. Um, and obviously it's an editing thing too, but if, you know, if you don't get the shots to start with, then you can't really change the pacing that much in the editing room. Um, so I guess, you know, it would kind of depend if you wanted quick pacing, you might, you need to get more angles of a certain shot or even have multiple cameras depending on how, you know, intense the speed is. Um, slow pacing would require, you know, holding longer on shots. Um, you might have less shots, but they might need to be more planned out or choreographed or moving camera, that kind of thing. Um, it also might dictate the type of shots, slower pacing, you know, you might have more establishing shots or insert shots that kind of tie the viewer into the space the character lives in. Um, so it, it can affect, you know, a lot of different things. So you definitely want to talk about that from early on. Excellent. Excellent. So, um, let's just, let's continue along those lines, uh, you know, of, of continuing with the story progression. You, you, we've got, uh, nine minutes and, uh, there's things that you know that we don't <laughs> about each of these areas, uh, that we've discussed. And, so if if we could put it all together, you, you know, you show up and you're shooting and you've 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 made some arrangements in in uh, pre-production and now and now you're on the set shooting. What uh, you know? What are these? I, I, you know, I hate it in the one in the one thing about asking questions like this because they tend to be vague, you know, uh, as an overview. So, but if we can get an overview of of um, like maybe you'd discuss one of the movies that you've worked on or a feature film where you can talk about, you know, how, how that was paced versus a different one. What what are the different kinds of things that occur? Um, well, again, you know, you it all comes from the script, so you're probably gonna have a vague sense of what the pacing is gonna be like from the script. Um one of the films I've recently shot uh was a, a zombie film um in Iowa and um you know, there's a couple scenes where at first the pacing is very slow and the actor is, you know, walking around and it's very tense and, you know, you're not sure could a zombie come from anywhere kind of a thing. So, you know, it can definitely serve the story in that way, you know, create tension. Um, now, you know, now, that's, that's where I can get a little on. bit more specific. I mean, this is where I can mm -hmm. ask more. How do you create that tension? In other words, what is the camera doing? How are you lighting it? You know, be, I mean, beyond what the actor is, is directed in doing, how what are you doing to create tension uh, in the camera so that the audience experiences it? Gotcha. Um, again, you know, it, it kind of depends on the situation, but in let's say in that circumstance, you know, you might have um, the camera moving very slowly, so you hardly even realize the camera is moving, but it is, so it's kind of creating this unease. And also maybe with the lighting, you might create um, dark spaces in the background. So you're not sure what could be in those spaces because they're underexposed. You know, there could be something back there, but you're not sure until it might come into the light, um, that kind of thing. And continue, because you were talking about this particular movie. I don't want to stop you from that. I just... Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, for, for one of the scenes, we had... Um, walks out the door and, you know, we have the camera creeping back with him slowly. So he's, you know, walking towards the camera, but the camera is keeping in front of him. Um, and, you know, he kind of keep with his pace. So he's sort of tiptoeing, tiptoeing. And then there's um, a dark garage off to the right side of the frame. Um, 
but you don't really pay attention to it because you're just kind of looking all around behind him. Is there anything going on behind him? And then, you know, an actor, um, a zombie actor, jumps from the garage, from the dark space. Um, and then suddenly, you know, the pacing is quicker and there's, you know, we got to get five different angles of this so that, you know, the effects work or the, the action sequence works and it also kind of picks up the pacing and, you know, makes things a little more um, intense. Now, that's that's interesting. Now, contrast that against what I'm going to guess was not a zombie movie called The Chemistry of Dating. I mean, how... <laughs> Yeah, um, well, Chemistry Dating was definitely a comedy, uh, romantic huh? comedy. So, you know, with with comedies, you generally shoot more kind of wide shots. You're not you're not in as close to the actor. Um, you're not really trying to create tension necessarily. You know, you're just trying to tell the story and have it be lighthearted. So, you know, you're not going to have, you know, you'll probably have overall brighter lighting. Um you know, you won't have dark spaces in the background or anything like that. Um, so it's definitely different, you know, depending on the, the style you're shooting. You also don't, you know, necessarily want to fall into the cliches. Um, you know, you want to use the ones that work for your story, but you don't want to, you know, just shoot all wides in a comedy just because, you know, that's what they say you're supposed to do. You definitely want to serve the story in the end, so. You want to what? I'm sorry. Um, just serve the story in the end, so you oh, know. If serve the story. I, I'm sorry, I, I couldn't yeah. hear it. Um, yeah, but 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 uh, let, let's discuss that a little bit. I mean, they they do say you know comedy should be shot wide, um, and do you know why that is? I mean, what the what the reasoning is behind that? Why is why are things funnier wide than they are? <laughs> um, I think part of it it kind of depends on you know if the actor's doing like physically doing something funny. You want to be able to catch that. And also, you know, it's maybe less about the character in a comedy and more about, you know, the situation, and that's what makes it funny. Whereas with a drama, you're usually getting more involved with a specific character, and that's why maybe you go in closer. But, you know, I definitely don't like, you know, just shooting that way because that's what they say to shoot in the books, you know what I mean? Like, you definitely want to think about what makes sense for the story, like, if you're shooting a comedy and a close-up makes sense, shoot the close-up. You know, you don't have to be afraid of of the preconceived notions. You know. Cool. Anything that you particularly like to use or don't like to use? I mean, like you know, or are there elements to what makes a good jib shot? You know, or a crane shot or a dolly shot that uh, that we could discuss in our about remaining three minutes or so. Yeah. Um. I mean, I definitely like to use the dolly as much as possible. Um. Especially with the low budget, if you dolly, um, it brings up your production value quite a bit if you can use it right. You definitely don't want to use it, though, just because you have a dolly. Like, if the camera's moving for no reason, then it's just going to distract from the story again and make it obvious that, you know, a camera's there. Um, And, yeah, in terms of jib and stuff, that's great. But, again, you know, you don't want to use it just because you got a jib and you rented a jib. You definitely want to shoot a shot that makes sense for the story. Um, anything else in particular you meant by that? or? No, no I've just, we've got about three minutes left, and, I, and I, any tips or suggestions that you want to give uh, uh, cinematographers or directors out there in terms of working uh, more productively together or uh, becoming a, a, a better cinematographer? Yeah, I mean, 
the main thing is, you know, start your director-DP relationship as early as possible. You know, don't go looking for a DP the night before or anything like that because they're going to be the person on set that's going to be able to help you the most in achieving what you want for the film. Um, so, you know, start as early as possible. Start talking about everything as early as possible because once you're on set, everything is going to change. And you're, the more you know about what you both want out of the film, then the quicker you're going to be able to adapt to those changes because... You know, especially with indie film at the end of the day, usually you can't add, you know, three days onto the end of a shoot. If you don't make your day, then you don't have a complete scene. And that's, you know, definitely not what what you want to happen. So the sooner you can start, you know, talking to the director and knowing what you want on set, then the better your film will probably end up being in the end, you know. And and something else you pointed out earlier when we talked about an on-set editor in the same regard especially if you have a, an independent low budget if you can you know get an onset editor cuz they can save you a lot of money and time um you know and and keep you from from coming back and finding out oh geez that didn't work yeah hope i mean hopefully you know the editor is there to point out you know problems that aren't necessarily because you shot it wrong, but because of, right. you know, something with the location went wrong or, you know, the actors did, the actor did something he wasn't even realizing was wrong, um, that kind of thing. Or even just technically, like, oh, the footage, you know, if it's, if it's digital, you know, the footage didn't record right or something like that. Or, you know, just knowing those things while you're all still on set is pretty important because if, you know you've wrapped and then you're they're looking at the footage and they're like, Oh crap, you know, this happened, we can't go back and collect everyone and all the actors and crew and gear and stuff again, then you just you don't have a movie which is, you know, definitely not what you want to happen. Jenny, do you have a website that we can give out for people who might be looking for you or uh wanna yeah, know more um, about it's you? Just my name, Jenny Stolte dot com. And it's J E N N Y S T O L T E dot com. Yep. Yep. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing and contributing, and and uh, and for being here today, and and filling our listeners in on what you do and how you do it, and the different kinds of people that you, the different types of people you, that you uh, work with or encounter on a film set. I, I sure yeah, appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much it. for having me. And um, uh, is there any uh, anything you're doing currently that you want to share or? Um, not at the moment. We just finished a short to hopefully get money for a, a feature film. So <laughs> we'll see. And, you know, there's always stuff going on now that it's summer. There's definitely more shoots happening. So we'll see what the future brings. All right. Well, check out her website and, and, and check Jenny out. Um, I've gone there. I've looked at the footage. I mean, it's, it's very nice. It's very cool. So uh, I wish you well. Thank you so much for being here. We'll have you back again sometime, and I, I sure appreciate it. Thank you, Jenny. Yeah, thanks. All right, bye for now. Bye. And that was Jenny Stolte. Uh, thanks so much, Jenny. I sure appreciate you being here. And uh, I want to thank all the listeners and the guests uh, and the listeners and the readers of the blog of RexSykes.com for tuning in. And for those in the chat room who had questions, for the callers whose calls we do not take, on air, uh, you can meet us in the chat room. But thanks for, for thanks for showing up here today. Um, and keep in mind that we've got lots of other fabulous guests coming up. We've got lots of 
guests in the archives. The uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat podcast is available for iTunes. Go ahead and subscribe and listen to each and every one of these interviews. It's a master class of filmmaking in a box. We pull back the veil as we did today and talk about the different elements of movie making uh, in, 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 in depth and uh, so that you benefit uh, from the expertise shared. Uh, by my guests. So thanks so much for being here. You can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group by clicking on the group link at my profile page on Facebook. There's also the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends. It's a fan page. There's also uh, Wisconsin Film Jobs, The Cause, Save Wisconsin, Keep Wisconsin Film Friendly on my profile. So uh, go ahead and join that if you're a Wisconsin resident and filmmaker. And everybody have a fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.